Welcome to the Chickmunks Podcast, where we explore spiritual wisdom with a feminine perspective. I'm your host, Heather Ma. Let's get to it. Greetings, Chickmunks. I am excited to share with you today a sermon that I got to preach in worship just a few days ago on what is known in the liturgical calendar as Christ the King Sunday. So for those of you who are maybe less familiar, just a little bit of background before we get started. When I say liturgical calendar, I mean the church has historically and still to this day observed a calendar that organizes the year according to really the life of Christ. And we line up the timeline of our worship and what our emphasis is in Sunday worship and also, you know, throughout the rest of life, if you're participating in devotional readings and that kind of thing, we organize it all according to the timeline of the life of Jesus. So the timeline starts in Advent. The timeline starts with this anticipation of the coming of Christ. So really, Happy New Year, because in a few days... Advent begins. But the Sunday just before Advent begins is always called Christ the King Sunday. This final Sunday of the liturgical calendar is the feast day where we honor Christ as the reigning sovereign of the universe. And the language historically that we've used for that is Christ the King Sunday. So the theme of this sermon reflects that and um, Because I used both the Old Testament reading and the Gospel reading and refer to them both in the sermon, I'm going to share them both with you ahead of time. So we'll begin with a reading from Ezekiel chapter 34. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among their scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the watercourses, and in all the inhabited parts of the land. I will feed them with good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and they shall feed on rich pasture in the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, but the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because You pushed with flank and shoulder and butted all the weak animals with your horns until you scattered them far and wide. I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be ravaged. 
and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, who shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be their leader. I, the Lord, have spoken. And now a reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. Jesus said, At the appointed time, the promised one will come in glory, escorted by all the angels of heaven and will sit upon the royal throne with all the nations assembled below. Then the promised one will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. The sheep will be placed on the right hand and the goats on the left. The ruler will say to those on the right, Come, you blessed of my Abba God, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. Naked, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you comforted me. In prison, and you came to visit me. Then these just will ask, When did we see you hungry and feed you, or see you thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or clothe you in your nakedness? When did we see you ill or in prison and come to visit you? And the ruler will answer them, The truth is this. Every time you did this for the least of my sisters or brothers, you did it for me. And then the ruler will say to those on the left, Out of my sight, you accursed ones into that everlasting fire prepared for the devil and the fallen angels. I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you gave me no welcome. Naked, and you gave me no clothing. I was ill and in prison, and you did not come to visit me. Then they, in turn, will ask, When did we see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or naked or ill or in prison and not take care of you? The answer will come. The truth is, as often as you neglected to do this to one of the least of these, you neglected to do it to me. They will go off to eternal punishment and the just will go off to eternal life. Maybe this isn't the first time you've heard these passages. Maybe you're familiar with the scriptures of the Hebrew Bible. Maybe you've heard this prophecy from Ezekiel before, but I don't know about for you, but for me, hearing this 
prophecy, naming the land of Israel, it just hits a little bit differently in the midst of an ongoing war in Gaza. In this text, the prophet Ezekiel proclaims that God will seek out God's scattered sheep and will bring them back together and will give them good land to feed on. I will save my flock, God says, and I will set up over them one shepherd. God will seek the lost, heal the wounded, and strengthen the weak. And then there's this line, but the fat and strong I will destroy. So, let me ask you, who is whom? In this prophecy, who are the scattered flock of God? And who are the sheep who butted and rammed and shoved the weaker ones out of the way? Who are the fat sheep? And who are the lean sheep? It can be tempting to draw political conclusions hearing a prophecy like this with a dualism. But before you do, let me say this. This text does not neatly line up as a condemnation for a single nation or an endorsement for another. This was written nearly 3,000 years ago and is certainly not a message about current players in our world drama. But it is about the powers and the values that influence them. So to answer the question, who are the fat sheep and who are the lean sheep, we need to first understand that this is part of a much, much larger story told in the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew Bible what Christians call our Old Testament. It's full of stories that create the origin of our faith. These stories include judgments, like the one we read today, judgments for a people whose faith in God has been replaced by a thirst for domination and power. Now, in case it's been a while since you read the books of Exodus, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings, let me just catch you up a little bit on the story. These books tell a story of God's people, our lineage of faith. People chosen to live lives of trust in God and kindness towards the outsider. But eventually, empire got a hold of this people and enslaved them. And then they wanted to be powerful like their captors. They saw other peoples organizing as nations with governments and leaders appointed to rule over them, and the people of God felt vulnerable. They wanted a national identity. They wanted a ruler to tell them who they were and that they were safe. They wanted to overcome their enemies. Even when their God heard their cries and delivered them from danger and bondage and reassured them that they belonged to God and that in God's hands they were safe, they still begged for a king and a kingdom. They wanted to be like the powerful oppressors who had kept them in chains. They bought in to the myth of empire. 
self-serving empire would eventually lead them to generations of war, genocide, and conquest, just as it has throughout world history for other empires, all empires, the Assyrian Empire, the Roman Empire, the British Empire. Empire is full of promises. Promises of order, of safety, of security, identity. But empire is a demanding and costly God to serve. Empire has no regard for the individual. Empire will devour and hoard every resource it can and will use violence to maintain its rule, no matter who it must trample or force out. The judgment in the prophecy from Ezekiel that we just heard is about the strong taking more than what they need and using violence to keep the weak away from resources. It wasn't without warning that the people of our scriptures gave themselves over to this hungry God of empire. The prophets warned them of the dangers on empire's path. Time and time again, prophets have cried out for justice among God's people to turn our eyes to the poor and the weak. Because while the systems of empire favor the rich and powerful, God chooses the frail, the suffering, the hungry, the outsider, the sheep who need a shepherd. These are God's people. Not only does God claim the most vulnerable sheep as God's own, but God judges and destroys the sheep who dominated resources, who bullied the weak and pushed them out, who chose the violence of empire over the compassion of God. So I'll ask again, who are the fat sheep and who are the lean sheep? Who uses violence to dominate resources? And who is strategically denied access and kept weak and dependent? Here in the United States, we swim in empire so much we might not even be able to see it. Our government has given between two and four billion dollars in military aid to Israel every year since 1954. But this year, in response to Hamas's attack on Israel on October 7th, the U.S. sent 14.3 billion dollars to bolster the already overwhelming military power of Israel to maintain their power over the land and the resources. Our country consistently funnels funds to an empire on the other side of the world so that they can effectively eradicate the extremist Palestinians who dare fight against the active containment and genocide of their people. Have we chosen the violence of empire or the compassion of God. It's not only overseas where you can see our worship of violence either. As the initial strikes claimed thousands of lives in Gaza and Israel, 
our country had our 565th mass shooting this year. More than 50 people are killed each day by a firearm in the United States. And our nation circulates firearms at a rate of about 121 firearms per 100 residents. That's more guns than people. For perspective, the country with the next highest gun ownership rate is Yemen at 53 guns per 100 people. We have a problem with violence. Our culture worships violence. The majority of Americans say our gun laws should be made more strict, and yet individuals with history of mental health diagnoses are still consistently allowed access to high-powered weapons. It seems like every other day I wake up to a new heartbreaking tragedy involving a gun whether it be in a school, a synagogue, or a routine law enforcement stop. Why are we so insistent on our right to violence? Why do we collectively own so many high-power weapons, and why do we distribute them to the rest of the world? Why is this the legacy of our country? In short, we were born this way. It's our inheritance. Since British colonizers landed on the coast of what we call Virginia, our country was created with an allegiance to the myth of empire. Empire has dominated our history, our identity, our language, and our understanding of the world. Our country was birthed from another powerful empire, which was birthed from another empire. Our political lineage is one of domination, massacre, and genocide. And our nation continues to give our resources to support those values. The craziest part is that in many ways, this value was rooted in the Christian faith that arrived with the settlers religion that had been imposed in England from the top down. A Christianity that claimed to hold the right answers about the world and life and God. A Christianity that defends hierarchy and demands conformity. A Christianity that boasts in conquering land and indigenous peoples and destroying natural ecosystems to perpetuate its own legacy. Our nation was founded with a Christianity that captured, enslaved, and killed anyone who dared be born on another continent or observe earth-based beliefs and practices. The name for this Christianity is Christendom. When the Christian religion saddled up with empire to become the rulers of the people. And this, this Christendom, is directly opposed to the reign of Christ. In the gospel reading from Matthew, Jesus teaches about the reign of Christ, separating the sheep from the goats. Christ's sheep are those who chose compassion 
who recognize the presence of Christ in all beings, especially the weak and marginalized, and served them. And the goats are the ones who didn't even notice their suffering. The reign of Christ is a unity of all beings, caring for one another and for all creatures, recognizing their common dignity, their common life together. The reign of compassion over violence, the oneness of Christ over the division of empire. Remember, too, that Jesus was violently killed in the hands of empire. He taught and lived a life of faith. He reopened a path to God that the powers of empire had barricaded. The path to God had been weighed down and smothered with its religious rules, restrictions, and hierarchies. And Jesus revealed that God, God's reign, God's presence and power, they were all already here, dwelling in our hearts as faith. Jesus taught that there are no real limits on our access to God and that we know God more when we seek justice together and we take care of one another. Jesus taught that empire is everywhere, even in religion, especially in religion. The Episcopal Church, my own denomination, was quick to issue statements of wholehearted support for U.S. aid to Israel. Our church joined our government in a quick condemnation of terrorism while never once acknowledging the injustice of empire and the violence that it takes to maintain it. We are all caught in empire's tendrils, including the church whose very prayers and practices were inherited from our ancestors within a previous empire. But empire is an earthly illusion. It does not last forever. All empires fall. In the eternal reign of Christ, empire is feeble, created by human lust for power and domination. A mere illusion perpetuated by violence and injustice. Jesus turns our eyes from this illusion to the reality beyond it, to the God who is real and eternal, who is love, who binds us together as one throughout time and space and is neither limited nor distorted by these human vices to show us what a real king looks like. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice. A prophet, a revolutionary, a life of faith, sacrificed to the God of empire in exchange for protection, order, and security. A sacrifice the people were more than willing to make when he did not turn out to be the conquering king that they were expecting. And friends, we are still willing to join in this sacrifice. By the people, he was sacrificed to a God who demands violence, punishment, and fear. But Jesus offered himself instead 
as a sacrifice of love to the God who is love. His death, though brutal and tragic, was an act of pure compassion, pure faith, revealing the limitations of empire and violence and retribution and embodying the self-offering love at the heart of our very existence. This rejected poor traveler, this immigrant, this rule breaker, this friend of sinners and servant of the poor, this sacrificed lamb is the king our spiritual ancestors sought. A king to undo kingdoms. The king to dismantle empires. The king to bring down the mighty and lift up the weak. The king of love. And love is all there is. So thanks be to God that empires rise and fall. But the self-offering compassion of Christ's reign continue as the heartbeat of the universe for all time and eternity. Amen. Amen.